Hello, everyone, and welcome to the NCEA podcast. I'm John Reyes, the Executive Director of Operational Vitality for NCEA. Welcome to this week's show. Uh, next week, NCEA will be hosting a special professional learning event on accelerating advancement strategies. So it's a three-hour session, a great opportunity to develop next steps that grow and enhance your school's development program. We're excited because joining us today is Andrew Robinson, who's the president of Petrus Development. And, and Honestly, we're really excited to collaborate with Andrew, with the Petrus team, to bring you next week's event uh, and really empower you to dream big about expanding the viability of Catholic schools like yours and Catholic schools everywhere. So, Andrew, thanks for joining us. Pleasure to be on the show. Thanks, John. Awesome. So we know you bring a wealth of experience in terms of the advancement space, not only in schools, but in the church. But can you tell us a little bit about the work that Petrus does and how it serves the church and Catholic schools? Yeah, absolutely. So Petrus was founded back in 2005, really to work with ministries, Catholic ministries of all sorts, uh, campus ministries, schools, dioceses, parishes, uh, Catholic apostolates. And at the heart of what we do, it's uh, we are a teach-to-fish organization. So our goal is to teach organizations where, wherever they are at uh, in their in their development, um, in their um, just the the growth of the evolution of their ministry in general, um, how to fundraise. Because we believe that when organizations have more money, they can accomplish more and they can do more of their mission. And so that's really what we want to do, and we seek to do is we empower and teach organizations, leaders, fundraisers, um, institutional leaders, board members, everybody involved, how to fundraise and how to be more successful. So we were founded in 2005. I joined part-time back in 2012 and then came on full-time as the president in 2017 and happy to be doing it. Good stuff. I, I, I love the teach to fish approach and and it seems like it is a different approach. Uh, could you talk a little bit about, you know, what was the motivation for for Petrus being a teach to fish organization, one that sort of motivates and empowers, versus maybe another approach to supporting the church? Sure. So you're right. There there are a lot of consulting firms, fundraising consulting firms that an organization can hire to help them fundraise. And most of those organizations, what they will do is you'll go and you'll say, we need a new parish hall or we need a new gymnasium for our school. And they come in, they're experts at what they do. They will look at the list. They'll develop the resources. They'll go out and they'll ask the, the, your individuals, your benefactors for gifts to the project. And at the end of the project, you have the funding you need to build that parish hall or to build that gym. And that's great. It accomplishes a lot for that organization. It allows you to move forward. And you, you, at the end of the day, you, you have a ability to move your mission forward. What the founders of Petrus, uh, and then myself now in this role really believe though, is the organizations that we were working with, they needed, they needed a lot more than just that parish hall or just that gym. What they really needed is the understanding and the ability to build sustainability beyond that project. And so a lot of the organizations that we work with, they've never had a full-time fundraiser on their staff. They've never, the executive director or the pastor or the priest has never gone out and been intentional and strategic about fundraising. They've kind of existed with, you know, well, um, Mr. Johnson funds our ministry every year. So I call Mr. Johnson when we need a gift and uh, ask him for that gift and he funds us. And so 
what we want to, what we have wanted to do, and what we've been successful at doing is to teach sustainability long term through the just applying basic fundraising principles. So it's about building relationships. It's about having strategy. It's about putting your systems in place. It's about building the team around you, and um, if you can do those things, and a, and a couple more, but if you can do those things, then you can fund the needs that you have today, but you can also set your organization up for long-term success. So that's kind of where we, that, that that's why we approach it as in this way, and I think that I think that's making a difference in the church. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's such a powerful approach, right, to think of institutional advancement and development and fundraising as not just a person, but it's people, right? It's people, it's, yeah. it's culture, it's processes. And um, yep. So for those of folks that are listening here, one of the things that you should know is that Andrew and the Petrus Development Team have their own podcast, of which Andrew is the host. So it's kind of cool to be talking with somebody who's super familiar <laughs> with sort of the podcast landscape. Um, and so you've had a chance, I think, to to, to sort of get your hands dirty, especially in the last, I don't know, let's call it the last 12 to 15 months, right? Like what is time anyway during this pandemic? But like, what have, what do you think the pandemic has, has taught the church, Catholic schools, organizations sort of serving uh, through the ministries of the church? What do you think that the pandemic has taught us about advancement within sort of the context of our work? Uh, well, John, I think that it's taught a lot. <laughs> Some of those lessons have been we've we've been uh, you know eagerly anticipating or looking for ways to implement. Some of them kind of got backed into by way of you know just the situation around us. But hopefully, uh, organizations have learned from this and are moving forward in stronger ways. So, just a little bit about uh, kind of how we approach the pandemic, and I think that it is um, indicative of what organizations could do, and it's benefiting them well. So when the when lockdown started back in March, March 14th, March 15th, somewhere around there, we had clients and we had organizations calling us saying, oh my gosh, what does this mean for us? How are we going to be able to fundraise? And so just kind of our response was we started doing a lot of, you talk about podcasts, we did a lot of webinars. We did a daily webinar for, gosh, uh, close to four months. Um, we had a lunch and learn. We had, we kind of called it different things. We did a, we moved our conference that was in person to a virtual conference and streamed for 55 straight hours over two and a half days. Uh, it was bananas, but it was, it was really fruitful um, for the participants. And so um, that, but that was kind of what we looked at is how do we adapt to the world when, you know, our, our consulting, our work is really done in person. And we had kind of started to move towards virtual work, but it was, it was a complete disruption to, to not be able to travel anywhere. And so we said, what can we do? How can we move into this landscape? And, um, and, and we did, and we were able to help a lot of people. What the the parallel to nonprofits is, is they were faced with the exact same questions and the exact same issues. So if you're a parish or you're a school uh, and all of a sudden your your ministry is literally in person every day and all of a sudden you can't meet, what do you do? And so a lot of the groups that we talked with, that we spoke with early on in those uh, those webinars and those virtual sessions is just this idea of the church doors may be closed, but that doesn't mean the church itself needs to close. And it was that mentality of we're not just going to close the doors and say, we'll see you when this is over, but it's we're, we have to close our doors, our physical doors, but what what doors can we open? What alternative ways to reach our audience, um, whether that's the, on the ministry side or whether that's the fundraising side? 
how can we reach our audience in new and unique ways? And so, oh my gosh, we've seen so many great ideas coming out of this, whether it's taking a, a you know an in-person gala that's, we had a, a person, a group from um, Omaha on, and she talked about virtual events, and they were literally about to celebrate their 50th year of having this gala. It was the 50-year anniversary. They were so excited about it, and then all of a sudden, they couldn't do it. And so they moved it virtual. They shifted a lot of their strategies to, you know, instead of doing, uh, having people sitting there raising the paddle when, you know, they, they raise the paddle and, and make your gift to the organization and buying tables, they totally transitioned all of that. And they actually exceeded their, their total revenue from the year before. But even more than that, even more than that, like they exploded the number of people that were present and that were active and involved in this, to not just the group around Omaha, but I mean, alumni and parents nationally. And so anyways, it was, you know, there's a lot of strategies that that we've seen employed. Some, some have been successful, some have not, um, but it's the organizations that said, all right, we don't know how to do this any better than you know how to do this, but I mean, at the end of the day, we're going to roll up our sleeves, we're going to make an attempt, we're going to give it our best shot, and we're going to learn. And they did, and they adapted, and I think that those are the organizations, the ministries that are coming coming at this point, uh, you know, wherever we are, out of this, not out of this, but coming at, to this point saying, we we know that we're strong, we know that we can be resilient, and we can adapt, and so we're going to take that mindset of innovation and um, that ability to pivot continue to to have that mindset in the future and I think that's just going to make for stronger ministries and stronger development programs oh my gosh there's so much there to unpack thank <laughs> you for walking us through that like so so I want to touch on three things the first one did you say 55 hours uh yeah yeah we started at <laughs> I think we started at like 10 a.m on Monday and we ended at 5 p.m on Wednesday or whatever the time was I don't even remember it was a long it, it was a long 55 hours but yeah it was a lot of fun we had happy hour we uh we had somebody oh lead, lead a workout session at seven o'clock in the morning uh, it was it was a lot of fun it was great that is that is intense oh my gosh um <laughs> it was the a, second it thing, was a bit yeah. ambitious but it worked out yeah the second thing that that struck me that i thought was really cool um is you you talked about like as an organization and and it seemed like it was just endemic of the nonprofit space like like everybody was learning everybody was doing something new and it's really cool that you that that petrus and that your team you guys sort of adopted that learning stance that learning mindset like like hey we're not the experts here but we're going to facilitate learning we're going to roll up our sleeves and learn right along with you and i imagine that sent a really strong message to the folks that you were serving yeah, I think that um, you know we we have a lot of organizations. We our, our team is great. We've got um, fourteen uh, members on our team, consultants and support staff, all of which are just experts in this field and been doing it for a long, long time. And so you know, a lot of young development officers and and people that are kind of trying to figure out how to do this, they look to us. And I felt like it was really important that we that we say we don't. We've never gone through a global pandemic either, um, but we can we can give it our best shot. And you know, to do a 55 hour uh, live conference, a virtual conference, you know, three months into the pandemic was was a little bit ambitious. Um, it was you know we were striking out and never having been part of anything like that before. We figured it out and it went really well. But I think that on our side, we just saw this as an opportunity to. Uh, encourage and sort of give other people the permission to try things as well. And so, you know, and, and to your point as well, it wasn't just us teaching. I mean, we, uh, I think between March and like September one, we did over 108 hours 
of virtual training, whether that was webinars, um, that doesn't even include the additional podcast we did, but it was just, I mean, it was a tremendous amount, but it wasn't all us and it wasn't our team. It was, it was gathering the people and bringing in the voices of other people that said, you know, the, the people that we got to do some of their conferences, they were like, Andrew, we don't really know that we're experts on this. I'm like, have you done it? Have you tried it? Well, yeah. Did it go okay? Yeah. I mean, there were some good things and some things in there. Okay, good. You are, <laughs> you are eminently qualified now <laughs> to awesome. talk on this subject. It was just like this idea of we can all try, we're all doing this and we'll figure it out as we go. And those are the, those are the people and those are the organizations I think that, um, are have done in in some cases done really well in spite of the challenges that the pandemic presented all us. That's awesome, and I, I think it just speaks to, I think especially now how how much the church and the the communities and the society we serve it needs our ambition, right? We need to be ambitious. Yeah. We need to be bold. We need to be a little weird and audacious, and I think it pays off. So yeah, it, it clearly has paid off in terms of the work that you guys have done. I imagine. Yeah, we're doing uh, our. Um, our conference is, we have an in-person conference and we've done it for many years. Last year, like I said, we went virtual, but this year we're doing it in person. And there's some wow. challenges associated with that. Yeah. We'll be in Colorado. But I think from our standpoint, it was, again, kind of this like, somebody has to be on the, on the uh, uh, somebody has to be out in front and take those barbs and, you know, learn from that experience. And we are, we're going to be a, in, uh, in Breckenridge, Colorado, and we are literally the first conference that this hotel has hosted since last February. And, you know, there's some challenges I'm, I'm sure that, that are going to come up as associated with that, but it's just this idea of like, we want to, we want to give people the permission to, to try these things. And are they going to go perfectly? No. Are we going to have uh, major challenges that we're going to have to overcome probably on the fly? Yeah, absolutely. I'm prepared for that. But if, if by us doing that, we can encourage somebody else to say, Hey, that group did it. So we can, maybe we can try as well. That's what I think that we're just trying to do as a part of this. And again, I'm not trying to present Petrus as like this, uh, you know, we're, we're not like this masters of innovation and leadership, but we are willing to go out there. We're willing to take the risks so that other people can, can gain something from those risks and then come back and they can try, um, whatever fits with their organization and their mission and their needs. Well, it sounds like we're just going to have to have like a follow-up conversation in a couple of months, <laughs> a couple of months, a couple of weeks to see how things go. And, and I know that we're like, we at NCA, like we're planning on returning to in-person events this coming fall. So I know that we're going to learn a lot from you. So uh, we'll benefit from your Excellent. audacity and your ambition. Excellent. Um, I want to go back to what you were talking about in terms of how you help to support different institutions. You talked about a, was it a school or a church that, that was having their 50th anniversary gala? Yes. Yeah. It was a, a high school in uh, Omaha. Awesome. So what what comes to mind is I think about like the you know you're you're planning you're planning these big events and obviously with such a monumental anniversary like there's there's so much invested and there's an emotional investment too right and, and so like I, I want to kind of ask a question along those lines you worked with leaders of varying sort of skill levels and capacities and experience when it comes to advancement development and, and, and the like um, like how much did sort of like the emotional investment of communities and community leaders sort of play in, in how they were able to adapt and shift with the pandemic? Because it's just, it, it seems like there's an emotional part that, that you had to sort of help people work through. Yeah, for sure. And a lot of that is um, we have to kind of step outside of our, in some cases, we have to step outside of our own worries and concerns and know that if, if we try this and we can rally people around this idea, whatever it is, that, that hopefully by building 
um, community and by building engagement with the people that have been there all, all along to support or that are joining us in this effort newly, that we as a, as a group, as a community, as a tribe, we can make this happen and we can be successful. So, uh, you know, looking at that um, that insta- that uh, organization that did the virtual conference or the virtual gala, excuse me. Um, you know they had they had never done it virtually either, and they normally you know they rented out or they didn't rent they used their space. They had over six hundred people that are in attendance. You know they they knew how to do that really well, but nobody had ever planned it virtually. And so they in in a matter of about six weeks they got their team together, and at the uh, you know to start it all off. It needed to have the leader say, there's a lot of ways that we could go in this, right? There's a lot of things we could do. We could cancel it. We could do it, you know, this way, but we need to make a decision. And so the it all started with the leader saying, this is the decision we're making for better or worse. We're going to learn. We're going to, you know, maybe there's a better way we're going to realize after the fact, but this is what we're doing. And if everybody gathers together, if everybody commits and goes all in, then I feel like we can be really successful. And to your point, that emotional point, it sometimes it just takes somebody stepping up, whether that's the institutional leader, whether that's somebody on the team, whether that's a, a you know a major donor or benefactor that says, there's a lot of ways that we could go, but here's what we're going to commit to doing. And we're going to do this idea or this strategy the best that we can. Like then it gives everybody permission to say, all right, that's what we're doing. And, you know, there may be some some lessons learned along the way. There certainly will be. And, you know, potentially even some some griping and some, th- you know, some questioning right. about why didn't we do it this way? But at the yeah. end of the day, if you can move forward and you can get the team and the, the community to coalesce and to come together over this strategy, then you you have a lot more potential to be successful doing right. that than to do nothing and to sit and to wonder which, which, which way should we go? Which direction should we move in? And I think that's a lesson for life, not just, you know, outside of a pandemic, but just in life. Like if you can, if you, if the leadership and the team can, can come together over this direction, this strategy, this idea, and yes, we're going to shift along the way, but commit to it. Gosh, you can you can be really successful, especially when the alternative is to not do anything and to to struggle with this question of where do we go? You know, it's this analysis by paralysis or paralysis yeah. by analysis. Sorry, uh, you know, we there's a lot of ways we could go. We have to pick one and we have to commit to it. And if we can do that, then everybody can be successful. That's so great. I mean, that's such a great reminder for for school leaders everywhere to know that like that so often when we face challenges, when we face disruptions in what we do, that yeah, there is a there's a hard skill element that's like a, how do we actually you know pull off the strategies and tactics and different pieces like that. But there's so much of it that really is just you know courageous, visionary leadership and and moving people in the same direction and developing buy-in and getting rich collaboration. So yeah, that's I good think to hear. One one other thing I'll say about that, John, is to your point. You know, the first thing that this group had to do is they had to mourn the loss of their fiftieth fiftieth anniversary of this wow. event. You know, yeah. they they had to do that. They they could not move forward until they everybody recognized this this is not ideal. Nobody <laughs> nobody would have picked this path if the world had not changed, but it did. And so we're going to mourn that loss. We're going to put it aside. We're going to move forward and be successful. And once they did that, then everybody could be successful moving forward together because they had kind of gone through that progression and that transition. That's that's such a great point. Awesome. Well taken. I'm going to shift gears a little bit and, and sort of have us look forward. And um, 
what I'm curious to know, and I think we'll be able to cover this more when we're uh, having our uh, professional learning event next week, is, you know, what are we going to keep with us, right? So can, can you give like one example of something that we, we like an innovation that we were backed into, so to speak, that is something that's like, actually, you know what, this should actually be part of the way we do things. So can you talk about sort of like one promising practice that's come out that you've seen in your work with um, Catholic institutions? Sure, absolutely. So I think the obvious one is that everybody is a little bit more comfortable and in some cases a lot more comfortable uh, connecting and meeting virtually. So, you know, we talked about the virtual events. We talked about the virtual fundraisers. Um, I think that that that's a piece of it, uh, you know, doing donor meetings. So if you're a development officer or an advancement officer and you have alumni all over the country, you know, we used to say, all right, well, we're going to plan a trip to Boston. We're going to try to book as many meetings as we can, and we're going to try to make it fruitful. And you kind of put your head down and you do it. Now, people are a lot more comfortable saying, I'm going to I'm going to see if I can set up a Zoom with that person, that donor in Boston, and that'll save everybody a little bit of time and expense. And and people are more open to that. Um, you know, when when this first started, a number of people had said, I've never I've never made an ask over the computer, Andrew. Like, is that allowed? Am I allowed to do that? Well, yeah, you can and you should and you need to. And so there's that. I think I think that transition is a little bit that that everybody is a little more comfortable doing it virtually. Now, now that being said, I still want to go back to what what is fundraising, what is uh, development built on? It's built on personal relationships. It's built on being authentic, and it's built on uh, presenting opportunities to our donors that they can come alongside and they can support and they can partner with us in ministry. And so. If you if you keep that as the core of this is what development and this is what's going to make us successful in development, we have to we have to change the methods a little bit, or we have the opportunity to change the methods and the tactics. Then then that's where you're going to be successful. If people say, well, uh, you know, I, I I don't have to meet in person anymore. I can do all my meetings over the phone and virtually. Uh, you know, long term, that I don't know that that's going to be sustainable, and that's not going to build those relationships in the same way that that being in person and that um, investing time is going to, that, that's going to pay off more in the long run. So I think it's a, it's a mix, right? There's new strategies, yeah. there's new tactics that we can employ, but at the end of the day, fundraising development is about relationships and you have to be willing to invest time and energy in those relationships to be successful long-term. I love it. I love it. So I'm going to ask you for a sort of a hot take here, right? And and you really, I think you you so brilliantly captured like how sort of the work of fundraising is about relationships, authenticity, and partnership, right? And so with that in mind and, and sort of learning what we've learned in the last year, year and a half or so, um, I'd love a hot take from you. What's something that you want to leave behind? What's something that you're like, you know what, let's just never do that again? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, so, you know, I think that development new especially somebody that's new in development or you know a lot of us have uh, boards they there's always this idea that there's a silver bullet like we have to come up with a new idea and we have to come up with you know something that's really going to light everybody on fire and get a, get a, everybody really excited and the fact of the matter is uh the development it takes time it you have to be willing to invest and you have to be willing to to play the you know I'm I'm a big fan of Simon Sinek. If you've ever read Start with Why, um, that's a great foundational book. He's got another he's got another book out called The Infinite Game. Have you read that, John? I haven't. I haven't. I'm putting it on the list right yeah, now. Yeah, definitely put that on your list. The Infinite Game. It's this idea of there's a people play finite games. Football is a finite game. There's a start. There's an end. Whoever has the most points at the end of the game wins that wins that game. 
Life, however, is an infinite game. Ministry is an infinite game. There's no start. There's no stop. There's no, um, you can't say we've, we've finished the game. We've reached our point. Now we can say we're successful. In, playing an infinite game in life means, and in, in a ministry and in fundraising, it means that you're looking past this year, past this quarter, past this project to how are we positioning, how are we moving our organization, moving our, our ministry, moving our relationships forward in a way that's going to benefit everybody long-term. So uh, to your question of what can we leave behind, I think it's anything that, that and, and this is never going to be left behind, but anything that is kind of comes out as, well, this is this is the way to fundraise. If we do this, then we're going to be successful. It's a matter when in reality, it's a matter of you have to invest. You have to be willing to play the long game. You have to be able to be willing to put the work in now because at the end, uh, at, and there is no end, but down the road, that will be closer to success, whatever that success is, and we'll be in a position that we can impact lives, whether that's your students, whether that's your families, whether that's your your parishioners, whatever that is, we're, we're impacting more lives now than we were a year ago, 10 years ago. And are we, are we at the, are we at the point where we're perfect? No, but we're working there. And so I think that's, I, I don't know, that's, that, that's a lesson that I would say is what can we leave behind the silver bullets of fundraising? That's so great. And, and I don't think the, the infinite game mindset is something that's lost on Catholic school educators, especially if you've ever taught junior high, like working with junior <laughs> yeah, high students right. is like very much like a, you learn very fast that the, <laughs> the end that you're pursuing is always sort of beyond you. But um, no, I think that's, that's, that's yeah, fantastic. Really. It's a good mindset to leave behind. If it's not a specific practice, the mindset of like a, like fundraising has a finite start and a finite end. I think that's a great mindset to leave behind. Um, yeah. So on, on that note, like I, my sort of like last thing I'd love to, to have you sort of expound on is, you know, often when we when we face this, we're not sure if we have misconceptions, right? And so when it comes to advancement and development work in the church, right? So church with a capital C and, and thinking about all the different ways in which the church manifests its work to the people of God, what's a common misconception that leaders in particular have about advancement and development work? Uh, so I think that one misconception other than, you know, what I just said, that there's a silver bullet and there's a way to win the game, win the finite game of fundraising quickly. It's this idea that we can put all of our eggs into one strategy and we'll be successful. You know, so when I say that, I say that to build sustainability in fundraising, to build sustainability in, in operations, even you have to, you have to be willing to, uh, have multiple strategies going on at the same time. And what do I mean by that? So there's there's kind of three different strategies to fundraising or three different, you know, most most common people would say these are the ways that you can fundraise. One would be annual fund. That's your mailers, that's your direct mail, that's your phonathon, that's your um uh, you know, your your days of giving. The, the that's your annual fund. Those are $100 a year donors. Um that's your events a lot of times are are annual fund. And so a lot of organizations will go all in on annual fund and they'll say we don't need to invest relationships and go ask people for gifts because we're just going to get a $100 from everybody or $1000 from everybody and we'll be we'll be successful. Then there's the other then so that's one annual fund. Then there's major gifts. And when I say major gifts, I mean sitting down with people, you know, Mr. Johnson from earlier. He always funds our ministry. If we if we need money, we need something else, we go call Mr. Johnson. So that would be major gifts. And so investing only in major gifts and having a few people or a handful of people that are kind of your your you know, your bread and butter of fundraising, you know, your uh, fundraising your organization and 
and not investing in building a pipeline through having it, having that annual fund, having those hundred people, thousand people that give hundred dollars a year. And then there's the capital campaign mindset. And there's also plan giving. Uh, plan giving is, is very important for a lot of organizations. That's <laughs> talk about playing the long game. That's really playing the long game. That's where you're in, inviting people oh, yeah. to leave your organization in their will or in their estate plans. Um, so that's really playing the long game, but capital campaigns are, are tangible and people understand that. And so that's where people, organizations will say, we don't really do any fundraising until we need a new, new building, or we need, we have a big project, then we'll do a capital campaign. That'll be our fundraising. And we'll, that'll get us through to the next time we need a new building or we need to uh, a new, new initiative. So organizations and leaders will say, I, I need to pick one and we'll go all in on that one, whether it's annual fund, whether it's major gifts, whether it's capital campaigns. And unfortunately, all not doing all three of those, but picking one leads to success now in many cases, but not long-term, not sustainable success, not something that's going to really serve your organization, your your school, um, your ministry in the infinite game because you're not applying all those. The annual fund, you need that because that provides your pipeline to your major gifts. You need major gifts and annual fund because that's how you're going to secure more commitments, more pledges for a capital campaign. The capital campaign can ignite people, can excite people for the organization. After they, after they finish their pledge, you can continue to cultivate them and get them back into the annual fund. So it's just like this this cycle. And if, and if leaders can establish that that cycle um, of fundraising, then that's where they can be successful long-term and not just, hey, we got a major win right now and we're going to celebrate that, but we're not going to apply that lesson to to further learning. That's a misconception that I think is, you know, and, and I don't fault people that don't do, I've been doing fundraising now for what, 16 years, 17 years. Like this is, this is all I do. So I understand it. And I, people that are, you know, in, principals, presidents, board members, uh, board chairs, whoever it is, like they don't live in fundraising. So this is new. So they say, this is what we got to do because that's what this organization did. And what you miss is we have to be well-rounded. And if we can accomplish, if we can do all of these, then that's how we're really going to be successful. Yeah, it sounds like a steady diet of these sort of different opportunities for to engage, to have people give, to sort of build that excitement and build that momentum and sustain it over time is really speaks to how cultural, right? Like it is very much in the fabric of these organizations. And, and obviously we're talking about schools here. Like it's such in the fabric of schools to build a culture of giving rather than just a strategic plan for giving. Although not that strategic plans are bad, but it has to be sort of aimed at fostering a larger culture, right? I would agree with that. And your comment about having a diet makes me think I watch a lot of, um, I'm a big discovery, uh, channel <laughs> fan. And so I watch a lot of these like shows on survivalism and, uh, they're really great. But what you find sometimes is these, these guys or these gals, they'll, they'll like only eat meat for 20 days, you know, or they'll only eat vegetables for 20, you know, it's like they're trying to survive and they, they eat what they, they have. But then at, at some point they, they reach a point where they're like, you know, I, I really should have been eating a little bit more lettuce. Like, I need some yeah. more roughage in my life or, you know, <laughs> maybe I'm a little short on protein. Like you, you got to have it all to be able to survive long term. Got it. Awesome. Well, I mean, it sounds like so much of what you do and what motivates your work is you want to move people past surviving, right, on a on a very limited diet of advancement and fundraising and, and really moving them to thriving, right, on this robust, Absolutely. diverse approach to advancement. So dude, we've had quite a conversation, covered a lot of ground. Um, I know that we'll have a chance to to interface with you and your team next week. Uh, but just as we close, uh, any, uh, this, this might be sort of far out, but we'll give it a go. Any like words of wisdom for, for school leaders, you know, having made it through the year at this point and, and looking forward to next year, any sort of small tidbits you might want to leave us with before, before next week? 
Yeah. So, so I would say focus on the impact when you're telling your stories. Don't talk about what you did, but talk about what doing that accomplished and what the impact of that was. And, and not even what you did, but what your donors allowed you to accomplish through their gifts. If you can, there's a, there's a great, there's a guy, um, Donald Miller, and he's written a great book called, um, uh, story brand. And he's got this whole series about it and I love it, but he says this all the time. People want to be the heroes of their own story. And so when you're communicating with your donors, when you're communicating with your benefactors, keep that mindset of, of emphasizing the impact that your donors made on in their world, in their sphere that they live in through your organization, through their gifts to your organization. And that will build loyal and supportive, supportive donors for a long term, long time. So that's one little uh, hot take uh, is talk about the impact and make your donors the hero of their story in your communications and you'll be successful. Awesome. Well, you know what? I, I can't imagine that there's there's a person out there who isn't inspired and feeling like they're, hey, they have the capacity to be the hero of their own story after listening to this podcast. So Andrew, thank you so much. I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, John. Awesome. Well, Andrew and the Petrus team will be helping lead our Accelerating Advancement Strategies workshop available live on May 19th from 12 p.m. to 3 p.m. Eastern and then available on demand. Uh, you can check out our other PD offerings at ncea.org PD. And if you like what you've heard, Andrew's got a great podcast called The Petrus Development Show. So check that out wherever you get your podcasts. Um, from all of us here at NCEA, thanks for joining us for this week's episode of the NCEA podcast.